0: If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount as we go each week, verse by verse, through this great sermon from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at what our Lord has to say about the truthfulness of our speech. Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 33 to 37. And the word of the Lord says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as now I, God, I deliver your word, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people, God. Speak that which you have spoken in your word. No more, no less. Lord, may we glorify you in these next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but have you found it harder and harder these days to find someone who is truly trustworthy, someone who is a man or a woman of their word? It seems like more and more people in our culture, and even Christians, unfortunately, are often found to be simply untrustworthy, not true to their word. They often say one thing and do another. I'll call you tomorrow, I promise crickets yes i'll do that i'll do that this week and then nothing you know there was a movie years ago which depicted a man who his entire life was built upon lies and then suddenly for one day he was unable to lie He was unable to lie for that one day, and guess what happened? His whole life came crashing down. He lost everything he had built because his whole life, family, career, everything was built upon lies. This is how our entire culture and country is built. It's built upon lies. From our government to the political process to the business and corporate world, even much of the American church is all built upon lies. We tell half-truths, we flatter for our own gain, we exaggerate, we break promises, then make excuses for it. We even tell little white lies to influence and manipulate others. The newest, most popular method of lying in our world is through the form of false narratives and what's called gaslighting. Even, you know, if for instance, that movie that I mentioned, if our cultural structures and the people in our culture were like this movie and could no longer lie for just a day, could no longer tell half-truths, false narratives, white, even white lies, if that happened just one day in our society and in our culture and in our, in our government and in every system, the whole thing would come crashing down. Because we are a culture that is built upon lies. And why are we a culture built upon lies? Because the structures of our culture, be it the government, corporations, etc., are led by unbelievers who have a father. And Jesus said that this person, the devil, is the father of all lies. One of the marks of a culture that's been given over to a reprobate mind, a a mark of the culture that's been given over to depravity, is that they are not trustworthy. Romans chapter 1 gives us a progression of a culture that continues to reject God, the God they know exists. And Romans one gives the description of how God gives them over. This is a judicial sense, meaning He gives them over to the desires of their lust. He gives them over to their own. He gives them over to their own depravity. And Romans chapter one describes this culture that's been given over to its depravity, given over to its lust, and it lists in. in uh, verses 29 to 31, it lists all the type of wickedness that this culture is given over to. And one of the marks in verse 29 is that they are deceitful, and in verse 31 it says that they are untrustworthy. And that word in the original language literally means to be a covenant breaker. It's not being a society true to its word. It's not being a people who are a man, men, and women of their word. Furthermore, one of the distinct marks on all of mankind under the curse of sin is that they have a lying and deceitful tongue. They have a lying and deceitful tongue. Paul, in Romans 3, again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking for God, in Romans chapter 3, Paul brings the entire human race into the courtroom of God. He puts them on trial, and he declares all of mankind guilty before a perfect and holy God. Verse 10, he says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. He's talking about all of mankind have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. In case you thought there was one, he says, no, not even one. This is apart from the grace of God, all of mankind, apart from the regenerating work of God in a person, all of mankind has been declared guilty because of sin. But Paul doesn't end there. The very next verse, he describes all of mankind. And the first way he describes the guilt of mankind is by their mouth. Look at what he says. This is verse 13, Romans three thirteen. There, he's speaking about the man, all of mankind guilty before God. He says, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. This is, a, this is a poisonous snake. The first way that Paul describes the guilt of mankind is through, through his mouth. Okay? The throat. Paul is saying that when mankind opens his mouth, it's as if there's a tomb, a dead tomb spewing out death from their mouth. Their tongues, they keep deceiving. That's the first mark of the guilt of mankind. And in the book of James, he said, whoever is is able not to stumble with what he says, he is a perfect man. That's James chapter 3 and verse 2. Friends, our speech and what we say is a very serious matter to God. And we would do well to pay attention to this topic. And we would well do well to pay attention to this verse today. Because of the sin of mankind in the area of Uh, lack of truthfulness in speech, God in his righteous and holy law in the Old Testament, he regulates speech by implementing the use of vows and oaths, which were to be used on a rare occasion and where it was warranted. The Jews of Jesus' day adulterated the original intent of oaths and vows, And in order to cover their system of lies, they invented their own system which appeased their conscience to be able to lie and make false promises and not be guilty. In our text today, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus once again rebukes the Pharisaical traditions and upholds the original meaning and intention of God's law. And once again, Jesus strikes at the heart of the matter which is the heart. So let's look at our text again Matthew chapter 5 verse 33. He starts by saying again you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Those that haven't been with us over the last few weeks this is the fourth illustration of six illustrations that Jesus gives beginning in verse 21 to first correct the pharisaical legalism uh, from the pharisees. He was correcting the traditions and the misinterpretations that they took of God's law. And he uses these illustrations to show how the pharisees' standards for living were inadequate. They were only external. They completely twisted the external outworkings of the law... And ignored the inward, the inworkings and the purpose of God's law to strike at the heart. Uh, Jesus also uses these illustrations to show the original intentions of God's law, God's Old Testament law, which have universal application. Now, what I mean by that is Jesus wasn't just giving these six illustrations to correct these six things that they had heard right he says you heard sh- you shall not commit murder you heard you shall not commit adultery but he who commits adultery starts in the heart you heard that it was said uh about divorce and now we're talking about oaths and then he talks about an eye for an eye a tooth for tooth and then he talks about loving your neighbor hating your enemy those six illustrations he's not just correcting those six things that they misinterpreted but jesus is laying down universal principles." for the old testament law which he says in back in verse 17 that he did not come to destroy he did not come to destroy the law he says and he says i tell you the truth not one smallest stroke not one smallest letter shall pass from the old testament law until all that happens will happen god's law was never meant to be only external God's law was never meant to be legalistic. God's law was always meant to be a matter of the heart. And it was always meant to show us how wicked our hearts are, to drive us to Christ, to drive us to repentance. The law is like a mirror, it's to be used to show how far away we are from God's standard of righteousness, so that we would seek Him in repentance and faith. As I've done in the first few illustrations, I will begin with the external issues and address and work our way to the internal. Okay, so we're on the fourth illustration. Jesus addresses the topic about oaths and vows. The first thing we need to address and to understand to understand Jesus' words are the theology of oaths and vows because this verse is often misunderstood as a 100% prohibition of all oaths and vows as god has prescribed in his old testament law so this is the first point i wish to show you in the text is that this <clears throat> excuse me jesus rebukes unlawful swearing we should therefore take oaths and vows very seriously now as i mentioned because of the fall of man you can start very early in the in the bible to see that god himself Swears. God himself not swears in a curse word, but he takes an oath. And God used oaths for mankind because of our sinfulness, because we are so apt to tell lies and not tell the truth. God implemented oaths and he regulated man's speech so that, as it says in Hebrews 6, that an oath is to be taken to end a dispute. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But look at verse 33. He says, Again you have heard, the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Then he goes on and gives these other illustrations. This is not a prohibition against all oaths. Jesus is not prohibiting all oaths. Historically, the Anabaptists and the Quakers, hundreds of years ago, they took this passage to say, you're not allowed to ever take an oath in a court of law, you can't take an oath. You know, marriage vows. Forget, forget those. Uh, they misinterpreted these passages as Jesus uh, saying that Jesus is um, prohibiting all oaths. He is prohibiting, and he's telling them to stop making your illegal oaths. And so, you'll see as we dive into the passage that Jesus is actually bringing out the original intention of the law and striking at the heart of the matter, which is a deceitful heart speaking deceitful lies. The first thing we see with the text here is that he says, again, you heard that the ancients were told. Now, this is the same way he opens up all illustrations. He says, you heard that it was said. You heard that it was told. Uh, As opposed to, he's not saying you heard that it was written. He's not not correcting his very word. He's not correcting the Old Testament law. The second thing to, to see in this text is where he says, you heard that it was told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. That term and that sentence is found nowhere in the Old Testament. So when Jesus is quoting scripture, he quotes it word for word. If you look when Jesus is in the in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, he says, you heard it was written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He quotes the Old Testament word for word. But here where it says, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. That's found nowhere in the Old Testament. But it does allude to such texts as Deuteronomy 6.13, Leviticus 19.12. But because, again, Jesus does not give a word-for-word quotation of the Old Testament text, it's another proof and shows me that Jesus is dealing with the Pharisaical legalism, and the oral traditions by correcting it and upholding the old testament law then jesus says but i say to you make no oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of god and then he gives the other examples don't swear by by the earth for it is the footstool of his throne don't swear by jerusalem for it is the city of the great king don't swear by your head you can't make one hair white or black So Jesus was rebuking the unlawful oaths that they were taking. They were taking uh, oaths in everyday common situations, and they were doing it in a way that was not according to God's law. If Jesus was negating and prohibiting all oaths, well, you have a big problem on your hands if you take that position. Because all throughout the New Testament itself, the New Testament is has a plenty of examples to give to us of oath-taking. Paul himself, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul puts himself under an oath in verse 20 by saying, he says, I assure you, before God I am not lying. He takes an oath. Before God I am telling you the truth, he says. Romans 1.9, he does this again. For God is my witness. He's invoking an oath which is simply attesting to your truth under the judgment of God. That's what an oath is. That's what Paul does here in Romans 1, chapter 9. He does it in 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1. He swears by God's faithfulness, that his yes was yes and that his no was no. He says, as God is faithful. Then in verse 23 of the same chapter, he calls God as his witness. He says, I call God as witness to my soul, that to spare you, I did not come to Corinth. See, what was happening in Second Corinthians was Paul told the Church of Corinth that he was going to come visit them years before. And then he doesn't come visit them, and he, get, he gets this letter. So he's telling them that I didn't have double talk. I wasn't lying to you back then. I really was going to come to you. And he calls God as his witness. He gives himself an oath. He says, I call God as my witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come to you again. Because he had written another letter to rebuke them and was giving them space to repent. So he was given an oath to say, I meant what I said. I was going to come, but then y'all sinned and we're all messed up. So I sent you a letter to give you space and time to repent before I came again. Revelation chapter 10, verse 6, John says that an angel gave an oath. It says, an angel swore by him who lives forever. So again, if you take the position that Jesus says, you know what, we should never take oaths. We should never swear by by God. Okay, And I say say that in a, in a, a reverent way, not just swearing, right? Uh, like an oath in the court of law, uh, you know, taking vows before God when you're married. If you take the position that Jesus is outlawing all oaths, you have problems with Paul, you have problems with Revelation, and most importantly, you have a problem with Jesus himself because Jesus himself swore under oath. I don't know if you knew that, but look with me Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at this. This is the biggest, I would say, proof text, if you will, on Jesus not contradicting himself and how he is not prohibiting all oaths, just the illegal oaths that they were taking. Matthew 26, verse 59. Now, this is during his trial. He's getting ready to be crucified. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is this that this men are testifying to you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him. So Jesus is silent. He's not answering their questions." So the high priest, who is the civil authority, you get, he's like the judge in the matter. He has the authority from Rome to, to judge these matters. He is the civil magistrate, and he says this in verse 63, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, your version may not, may not exemplify what that word means, but the word in the Greek language that was written, I adjure you, means I force you under an oath. That's the exact terminology The high priest, the civil magistrate, forces Christ under an oath, and he says, by the living God, I force you under this oath to tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one? Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus, what does he say? Wait, wait a second. Time out. Didn't y'all hear what I said on the Sermon on the Mount? I can't do this oath because I said we can't take oaths. No, Jesus didn't do that. What did he do? He answers them. He answers them. He says, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He not only answered, he gave them a the description that's actually found in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about the Christ, and says, That's me. So he under oath, claims to be Christ, the Son of God. So you can't have that position and be consistent with Paul, John, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he answered under oath as God as his witness. So again, Jesus was not prohibiting all lawful oaths. What he was prohibiting was rash, frivolous and often deceptive oaths in everyday conversations. That's what Jesus was addressing here. And this is what the Jews had reduced the matter of oaths to. So they adulterated God's law. Again, they twisted the external demands of the law while ignoring the internal demands. So what does the Old Testament teach about oaths and vows? Vows. Well, just real briefly, I want to read from our Confession of Faith, the Baptist Confession of Faith. It actually has a chapter on oaths that's very edifying, and I'm going to read a little portion of it. It's paragraph 1 of chapter 23. It says, A lawful oath is a part of religious worship, wherein the person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calls God to witness what he swears and to judge him according to the truth or falseness of of it oaths also known as swearing are to be made under the name of God alone Deuteronomy six 13. they're to be made in truth obviously truth righteousness and judgment under God because you know God is the only one that can discern the heart of man so you're given an oath under God that what you are attesting to or what you promise to do is actually true It's a very serious matter. Oaths are to be made in a very serious, they're to be made solemn in a a sense of solemnness because it's very serious. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So when you attest to what you're saying under an oath, under God Almighty, It's a very serious matter. And if you swear falsely by his name, the word of God says you have profaned the name of God. The God who created all things, who gave you life and breath. Also, oaths are to be made in plain language without equivocation or mental reservation. What I mean by that is you ever heard somebody who broke their promise and then they, well, that's not what I really meant when I said that, right? Because when they made that promise, that vow, that oath, they made it in such a way where the, the language was sort of obscure. That way, when they break it, they can go back and say, hey, that's not what I really meant. So oaths are to be made in plain language. Psalm 24.4 uh, prohibits swearing deceitfully. You're not to swear or make an oath deceitfully. Oaths were and always should be a very rare and religious exercise. Religious meaning you're swearing and making an oath under the God Almighty. So it is a very religious uh, exercise. And again, as I mentioned earlier, oaths are to be given as confer- uh Anything like that, oaths are to be made under God to attest to the truth of the matter. Well, to illustrate, I want to illustrate how serious believers took oaths in that day. Turn just a few chapters uh, over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. You know Peter's denial. He denies Christ three times, right? The the rooster crows. He sees Jesus. He weeps bitterly, right? We know those were tears eventually leading to repentance. But have you ever thought about the depths of his despair when he realized he denied Christ three times? There's something in there that I think we often miss. Look at Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 72. After he had denied Christ once, verse 72 says, and again he denied knowing Jesus with a what? With an oath with an oath. He said, I do not know the man. He put himself under the judgment of God and denied his Savior with an oath. And then keep reading. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear. Now that doesn't mean he started saying bad words, okay? When he began to curse and swear, he began to further his oath by calling down a curse upon him that if he's lying, may God curse him. I do not know this man. Peter, being a believer, falling into sin, denying Jesus who died for his sins, puts himself under oath, swears, brings a curse upon him that he doesn't know this man. And immediately, it says, a rooster Crowed, Peter remembers that what Jesus said about the rooster crowing, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went away and wept bitterly. Can you see now? It wasn't just the denying of Christ, it was denying he put himself under an oath. That's how serious he understood God's law with oaths, the judgment of God bringing upon you. So I hope that helps put in perspective. The seriousness of an oath. Now a vow, a vow is to be made to God. Uh, a vow is not to be made to any creature but to God alone. and vows are to God alone because He is the only one worthy of such a commitment. Vows to God are to be taken with all holy fear and reverence. According to Deuteronomy 23, vows are actually optional. You don't have to make a vow to the Lord. But it says, when you do make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay to pay for it, for it will be sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it says, it will not be sin for you. So you can actually make vows to the lord but even those are very serious matter and should not take be taken lightly you know when someone comes to christ they actually take the lord's name as a vow they are actually repenting of their sins putting their faith and trust in jesus christ and the root of a vow to the lord actually comes back to the third commandment thou shalt not take the name of the lord thy god in vain you shall not in vain profess christ you shall not in vain profess your life to God through repentance and faith in Christ. Ecclesiastes 5 5 says, Better not to take a vow than to vow rashly and not pay your vow. So we should never very lightly, God, God, if you just help me out with this, I'll do this. God, if you just help me out with this situation, I promise to go to church more. God, if you help me out with this situation, I'll read my Bible. Okay, those are rash vows that you ought not to be taken because vows are very serious in the eyes of the Lord. Now, let's take this to the Jewish traditions that were taught. We see the lawful oaths, we see lawful vows. Jewish tradition said this, when oaths or vows were to be made based on any other thing other than the Lord himself, such as swearing by heaven, earth, swearing by your head, swearing by the temple. Jewish tradition actually taught that you're exempt from guilt of perjury if you are found to be lying or break your vow. Look again at verse 33 in our text. He says, You heard it was said, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Sounds like that's right. That's what the Old Testament teaches. But their focus was on the wrong thing because they were deceitful men. They said, Oh, look, you have to pay your vows when they're made to the Lord. So, let, so I'm, we're going to create this system where if we make a vow or an oath to something else other than the Lord, then we're not guilty if we break it. And there's actually early rabbinic writings that are found that actually state that, that someone, if someone lies under oath, if they made the oath to the temple or they made a vow, you know, according to this or that, anything but God, they were actually found not guilty. So the Jews, because they were deceitful, they created this system that appeased their conscience in order to be able to lie and feel okay about it. They thought, as long as I don't make the vow oath to the Lord, I'm not guilty of it. And this became common practice to the Jews of Jesus' day. So instead of oaths being rare during that time, Instead of them being serious, practice in a solemn way, under God as witness, they use oaths in everyday common speech. And because their speech was marked by habitual untruthfulness, they had to make these frivolous oaths to try to add weight to their words. You know, you ever met somebody that you know they constantly lie? And then when they say, hey, look, I'm going to tell you the truth right now, right? You're like, oh, okay, that means all the other times you're telling a lie, Right? Uh, Or I swear, you know, I swear to God, you've heard that before, right? People's everyday language. When somebody has to go out of the way to say, hey, listen, I'm going to really tell you the truth now. It means they're lacking credibility and they probably have a pattern of deceitfulness and lying. Well, that's what the Jews were doing. They were liars. They deceived. And so they used these little manipulative ways to say, you know, I swear by the temple. I swear by the altar. I swear by the hair on my head, I'm telling you the truth, okay? Unless you don't have any hair on your head, then you're out of luck. <laughs> but, uh, but they use this, and you know, you, you want to say, wow, bad Jews, bad Pharisees, but isn't that what we do today? Don't we make some sort of system in our own vocabulary? We make some sort of system so that we appease our conscience when we're telling a lie to somebody. We make excuses for it. Uh, We say, well, it's okay because it's for their own good or, you know, we really, we get pragmatic and we say, as long as we get the end result, it's okay to, you know, know, deceive here or embellish the truth, over-exaggerate, tell half-truths, right? So before you say, oh, bad Pharisees, legalistic Pharisees, we need to look inward and point the finger at ourselves. Notice in the text, he says, make no oath at all, and then he qualifies, don't make oaths, he says, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. Or don't make an oath by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What is the common theme in each of these illustrations? He, he points to God. They were thinking they were not guilty by swearing and taking an oath by heaven, but he's like, look, you're not off the hook. Who's in heaven? Or I'm making an oath by Jerusalem. It's the city of who? The great king. Or I'm making an oath by the earth. Well, that's the footstool of God's feet. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, you Jews, you think you're exempting yourself by not swearing under God, but you're in fact indicting yourself when you swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, because God is the maker and creator of all of those things. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 23. You don't have to turn there. But in, the, in his series of woes upon the Pharisees, he says something similar when he says, you blind guides, you, you say whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the temple is obligated. The Jews were making these distinctions that didn't exist in God's law. And Jesus is saying, whoever swears by the altar swears by everything on it. And then in our text, ultimately, who made the altar, right? It's God. So you're not off the hook just because you're trying to create this system to appease your conscience and swear by other things. You're still uh, guilty, Lies were commonplace in that day, as they are today. So Jesus is saying again, you're not guilty, or excuse me, he says, wait a minute, you are guilty. Not only are you guilty of lying, but you're guilty of invoking an oath as God is your witness to your lie. So you're only adding to your guilt. But friends, the focus was on the wrong things. Now the title of my message, if you saw it, it says, to vow or not to vow, that is not the question. Jesus is not talking specifically only about vows an oaths. So their focus was on the wrong thing. Just as the text before on divorce, their focus was on the procedures of divorce, and they could get divorced for anything as long as they wrote a certificate. Their focus was on the wrong things. Their focus was on the details of when and where you're guilty of breaking an oath or a vow when their focus should be on the truthfulness of their speech. And your focus, when you come to this text, ought not to be, hey, should we take oaths? Should we not take oaths?" Your focus ought to be on the everyday truthfulness of your speech. Now, this brings me to my next point. That first one was long, but the next two are brief, okay? The next point is this. Because Jesus is the truth, his people must be people who speak truthfully. This is what he says here. If you look at the text, verse 37, he says, But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. And statement in the Greek is a singular word. It's logos. It means word. Let your word, not just your words. He's not saying not just let your words be yes, yes, no, no. He's saying let your word be yes, yes, no, no. Singular. You ought to be marked as a person who is truthful, who tells the truth. You ought to be a person of truth. He says anything beyond this, Meaning, anything beyond creating a system where your mind and vocabulary appeases your conscience to lie is of the evil one. God's people ought to be clear, transparent, and truthful in your everyday speech. James in chapter 5 verse 11 says the same thing when he rebukes his Jewish audience of the same type of oath-making and he says, make no oath at all. He says almost the same thing Jesus says. And at the end of his passage, he says, let your yes, yes, and your no be no, so that you do not fall under judgment. And that's what the Jews were doing. They They were swearing by all these other things and falling under the judgment of God, not just for lying, but by invoking the name of God in their lies. Jesus himself is the truth, John fourteen six. Jesus is full of grace and truth, John 1, 7, uh, 14. Did you know of the seven things that are an abomination to God, two are related to untruthful speech? Two of them, Romans 6, it says, there are six things that God hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to God, Two of the seven have to do with untruthfulness of speech. Verse 17 says, Haughty eyes he hates, a lying tongue is an abomination to God. And then verse 19, the sixth thing that is an abomination is a false witness who utters lies. A false witness who utters lies. Jesus said, The devil is the father of all lies. Why is he the father of all lies? Why does God hate lying so much? Take you back to the garden. The serpent comes to Eve. What does the serpent say to Eve? Has God really said? Eve says, God said not to eat this fruit. Has God really said? So what is a serpent doing to the character of God? God. The serpent was slandering the character of God. The serpent was deceiving Eve by making God out to be a liar. God did not really say. God just wants to hold back what he has in store for you. God just wants to hold the good things back. You shall surely not die. God's line is what, essentially, the serpent was saying to Eve. God hates lies. That's why the devil is the father of all lies. So if you claim to be a child of God and you're living in a state of lying, God is not pleased. God is not pleased. Lying lips, in fact, are an abomination to the Lord, is said again in Proverbs 12, 22. We are commanded to keep our lips from speaking deceit. I said around the table this morning that God gave you two guards for your mouth, your teeth, and your lips. Use one of them, okay? A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin, Proverbs twenty six twenty eight. Matter of fact, God destroys those who speak falsehood and abhors deceitful men. Liars have their place in the lake of fire according to Revelation 22:15 outside of heaven it says are the dogs and the sorcerers the immoral persons the mor- murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying friends i hope this gives you an idea of what god thinks about lips that tells lies and lies could be more than just a flat out lie it could be bearing false witness against your neighbor. It could be slandering somebody, uh, saying things that aren't true about someone. It could be half truths, concealing certain facts so that other people have a false view of reality. That's called deception. Uh, embellishing or exaggerating the facts to manipulate or influence others is a form of lying. Even flattery can be a form of lying if it's used. If it's if it's uh, un Uh, Out of impure motives, if it's not really true, just flattery to try to get what you want, it could be deceptive. Jesus in our text says, no, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. This has the idea of what you say should be in accordance with reality. What you say should be in accordance with reality. Brothers and sisters, as important as truthful speech is, The law of God actually demands an even deeper purity and a greater holiness than the words that come out of your mouth. Which leads me to my final point. The truth of the matter is that the root of the matter is the heart. The truth of the matter is that the root of this matter is the matter of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Jesus said that in Matthew 12, 24, and Luke 6, 45. So, if lies come out of your mouth, that is an abomination to the Lord, as he says, but it reflects what's inside your heart. Why do men and women lie? Why do we lie and deceive? Well, the truth of it, the Bible says that the heart is more deceitful than anything, Jeremiah 17, 9. It is Desperately sick, it says. Jesus says what comes from the heart is what makes a person unclean. And what comes from the heart, he says, is deceit and slander. Mark seven twenty-two. So again, friends, Jesus in our passage strikes again at the heart. Have you noticed that in each of these illustrations in the sermon? This fourth one, again, he strikes at the heart. The ultimate issue is, it wasn't the external conformance to the law of God, but the internal heart purity and your internal motives. Why do you lie? Why do you tell half-truths? Why do you deceive? Well, there's only one of two things. Either you are not saved and you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to be truthful God hasn't worked in your life. He hasn't regenerated your heart. You haven't repented of your sins and come to Christ alone for salvation. You haven't put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Or maybe you are saved, but you still struggle with lying because you lack trust in God. You lack trust in God. This is what happened to Abraham, I believe, in Genesis chapter 20. You don't have to turn there. But what is, you know the story? He lies to Abimelech. He goes with his wife, Sarah, and he lies to this king, Abimelech, about Sarah. He says, this is my sister, because he was afraid that the king would come take his wife, kill him, and make Sarah his wife. He was afraid. And this was actually after he was saved. He lied once in Genesis 12, more than likely before he was saved, but now in Genesis 20, he's lying again, doing the same thing. And you know the story Abimelech is visited by God and says, you're, about to, you're a dead man because that's his wife. And he says, well, the innocence of my heart, I didn't know. So he returns Sarah to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me and bring this judgment upon me? And what does Abraham say? He tries to cover. Well, she, she is my sister. She's my half-sister, you know, so... I was kind of telling you the truth. Again, that's a half-truth is a whole lie. And he did this because he did not trust God. God had gave them the promise that there would be a seed through Sarah, that his seed, Isaac, would come, and he did not trust God, and he lied to try to save, to be pragmatic and save himself. So does this describe you? Do you find yourself lacking trust in God that you feel the need to lie, tell half-truths, exaggerate to get your way, tell white lies? If so, look inward to your heart and seek the Lord who alone can cleanse your heart. Or perhaps you live in a state of perpetual lies. I've met people like this where they literally cannot stop lying. When they open up their mouth, it's a lie. Uh, and they don't know what to do. just—they just, they, That's how they speak. Well, friends, if that's your vocabulary, if you, if you consistently lie, well, friends, again, I want to encourage you to look back at your heart. Has God so changed your heart? Do you not care that you lie? Has God changed your heart to where now you actually do hate lying and you want to stop? Uh, because it might be a salvation issue, and, and this is for the children as well. I want you to listen to me. If you're constantly lying to your parents, children, then there's time to evaluate, have you trusted in Christ? Have you truly repented of your sins? Why are you not trusting God and not telling your parents the whole truth? Because God sees all things. God knows all things. God knows the lie before you even said it. So why try to hide it? Just come to Christ, come clean. The Bible says that if you... Say you have no sin, you have made God a liar. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. So in conclusion, James says pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of distress and to keep one unstained from the world. Our world is stained with lies, is it not? You want to keep yourself unstained? James says, pure religion in the sight of God is this, that you visit the orphans and widows in their time of distress and keep yourself unstained from the world. You want to be distinct from the world? You want to be unstained from the evil of the world? Be truthful. Be someone who is trustworthy. Be somebody who when you say you do something... You do it. God's people should be known for being people of truth, people who are trustworthy, people who keep to their word and who do not deceive, do not slander, people who are honest in their business dealings, people who are honest in their vocational pursuits, people who are honest in their ministries. And oaths and vows are to be rare, they're to be made and taken seriously in accordance with God's word. And finally, friends, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. In Colossians, it says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is all truth, truth that you cannot find out in the world because the world has completely denied the truth. The only thing the world knows absolutely is that there's no absolute truth. Somehow they know that. But Christ is truth. You can know the truth, and the Bible says that the truth will set you what? Free. It will set you free from your sin. It will set you free from your lying and deceitful heart. But you have to come to Christ with a broken and contrite heart, the Bible says. So from the youngest to the oldest, I want to encourage you, if you have not come to Christ with a broken heart in repentance, in faith, the Bible says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You're not promised another day. Again, from the youngest person who's listening to the oldest, Evaluate your life. Has Christ changed you? Have you come to Christ and put all of your faith? Have you repented of your sins? Meaning, have you agreed that your sins are displeasing to God and that you cannot inherit any righteousness of your own? You're not good enough to go to heaven. You can never do anything good enough to go to heaven according to God's word. And that's why we have to fall our whole self upon Christ and put all of our faith, all of our trust in Christ and what He did on the cross dying for our sins. What he did when he lived, he never told a lie, even as a child. Can you believe that, kids? Jesus never told a lie. Why? Because he's fully God, he's fully man. He lived the life that you and I have to live to go to heaven. That's the only way we can go to heaven based upon our own works. But God provided another way. If you were to repent of your sin and trust in what Christ has done, and him alone, The Bible says you shall inherit eternal life. You will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, thank you that you are the truth. Father, that you showed us what it meant to live a life full of grace and truth. Father, I pray for all of those that are in Christ here that you would help us to be people that are trustworthy. People of the truth, God. And Lord, I pray for those who have struggled in this area, God, that habitually sin by lying and they don't even know why. God, convict our hearts. Help us to see how much you hate lying, Father. Help us to trust you, Lord, and be truthful. And Father, if there's anybody here, God, either listening or here physically that have not put their trust in you, pray, God, that you'd use your word, use the gospel, God. Uh, to bring them to Christ, Lord, that they would be born again. And Lord, we thank you and we pray that you would give all, get all the glory and honor in Jesus name. Amen.